0: It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen.
1: Welcome to the show and what a week. Another Aussie has joined the winner's circle. This time it's Australian legend Kari Webb with her first victory in eight years. We've got our cherry pick guest is the GM of women's football in the AFLW. Nicole Livingston who has a great connection with golf. We'll find out shortly and uh, there's some great news around the traps as I welcome former touring pro Mark Allen and Australian golf media manager Martin Blake. I want to ask you, Marco, what was the highlight of the week for you?
2: Well, let's be honest, it's a pretty boring week. <laughs> it's funny, you know, when, when you start out and we're hoping that Minji Lee's going to win, you know, we're actually now conditioned that our guys are going to play well. It's, uh, it's funny, actually. <laughs> well, we've had a two
0: major win this year. Yeah, that's if, right. Which is the best we've ever, equal best we've ever done.
2: But halfway through the Evian this week, uh, because our girls weren't going so well, I kind of just ended up scoreboard watching. You know, I didn't watch any golf and you start to think, you know, we, we, we expect them to be complete robots almost and we all compare to Tiger Woods, I guess, you know, he's the latest and the greatest of the legends of golf and to win 18 majors and, you know, to barely lose one. I think in the back of our minds, we expect our players to do that, but it's it's just not the way golf has been. I mean, you have these incredible form waves in golf. Tiger's form wave was a very shallow wave. His best to his worst was very small. In fact, he, he, he'll tell you that he won majors with his B game and I think he might have been bragged when he won majors with his C game. <laughs> I don't think that makes sense. But he, I reckon he would have made one majors with his B game. But for most mortals, Hannah Green and Mindy Lee, um, you know, Cameron Smith, their, their form waves... Are quite normal,
1: and there's two world number twos in there, and a world number seventeen. Which is yeah. if Kari Webb, if the if the uh, the LPGA seniors or legends tour was uh, televised, you would have been able to watch. Yeah. It wasn't even online, which yeah. is uh, that's disappointing.
2: Well, I I ended up, I don't know about you guys. I ended up following that one more than the Evian, to tell you the truth, because there's a couple of legends playing in the last group. And when uh, Kari Webb, when we knew that she was playing quite well. Uh, at the age of 47, uh, and we're looking forward to her coming back and playing in the Australian Open. Yes, but when she was paired with Annika Sorenstam in the last group, so we know Courage won seven majors. How many majors did Annika win? Well, we better, we better Google it. Can you Google that for us? I'm going to say 10, 10, ten. but ten. We'll check. I'm think, guessing. Yeah. I'm guessing twelve. Tiff. Okay,
1: I said t- I thought ten. You're going ten, 10 as yep. well. I'm,
2: I'm. I'm just guessing twelve because how? how about, what are the odds? You know, they don't play much anymore. You've got all these uh, younger seniors who have been playing this circuit for longer. Tens the number. Well done to you guys. Um, just to get those two in the last group on the last day. I mean, if you happen to be in the area or if that was your golf course and you turned up on Sunday and here we go, Annika holds a chip on the first for eagle, shoots 31 on the front nine. You think, okay, She's serious. Game on. And then uh, we get Kari uh, Webb chipping in on 10 and then basically running away with it. I mean, you, you just, you couldn't you couldn't write a better script. I mean, the, the people who organise that event, you say, what, what would you like to see in the last day? Well, <laughs> we want to see Kari Webb and Annika Sorensen in the last group and we want to charge from Sorensen and then we want to see one of them kick away on the back night. Well, it actually happened. Just incredible.
1: What I loved, I love Kari, interviewed Post, and when cause Annika obviously uh, had the eagle on the first, she said, game on, righto. And then she had to change her mindset. She said she hasn't played with adrenaline in years. Mm. So she didn't even know how, how far she was going to yeah, be the ball. And, and the putts seemed a lot longer than the normal putts. Um, that's, a,
2: that's that's I'll just stop you there. That, yeah. That's a really good point you make because when you have adrenaline in your system, that's the enemy of the professional golfer because, you know, adrenaline was there... Forty thousand years ago when we're getting chased by a lion. Yeah. Right? and we want to get out of the way and get home to see everybody and, or we, you know, we're trying to fight. kill a lion <laughs> for some food right? and you're on edge and it makes you go faster adrenaline in golf is the last thing you need it's a disaster so you're taught from a young age to breathe in through the nose out through the mouth do everything you possibly can to calm yourself down unless of course you're Tiger Woods and you fist pump after every birdie and you've got millions of people screaming for you so I, I still don't, that to me is a mystery I don't know how that man operated at a different level But when you have adrenaline with your wedges and chipping and putting, there's a different touch. There's a completely different feel. And, you know, your 54-degree wedge might go 96 yards normally. But when you've got adrenaline in your system, well, how far is it going to go? Quite often it goes 102. And, and, you know, the difference between 94 and 102 with the back pin...
0: It's off the back of the green.
2: ...could be a a bogey versus a birdie.
0: So So I wanted to throw one more thing in relating to Sorenstam and Kari... Annika Sorensen took over from Carrie as the best player in the world. Mm. They don't love each other; those two, mm. they don't love each other.
1: So it was definitely game it's on. It's a
0: big rivalry, that one. That yeah. is a big rivalry. I think it you're always, always a win, was a big win. It always was, and it, I think they've they've warmed to each other a little bit. I read some quotes from Carrie over the weekend where they talked about the rivalry and how I don't know that they just they don't really love each other. I don't think.
1: So. So Kari comes in now. So she's, uh, it's the unofficial comeback and it's now becoming a comeback of comebacks. So she's playing in the Australian Open, as you said, Marco. Um, what is, uh, what is the, the, uh, the potential of Kari now potentially uh, winning the Australian Open? Well, she'll think she can got?
2: win. She'll, she'll think she can win. And
1: what does that say about our Australian golf?
2: Well... Hopefully, we've got some stars who will not let her win at 47 years old. You know, hopefully, we've got Minji and Hannah going. are going, to we're not going to beat you by 15 shots. Hopefully, that's not the case. But in golf, it's golf's a crazy game, particularly uh, when you get older. I mean, we all remember Tom Watson not long ago. I mean, he got beaten by Stuart Sink because of a bad bounce in the last, basically. Greg Norman, at the age of 53, was playing more tennis than golf. He was tied for the lead with eight holes to play. Patrick Harrington ended up going past him. So there's two older guys that almost won the Open Championship. So you can't tell me that Carrie Webb is without hope.
1: Well, she's 14 under, she won the tournament. And that yep. was for three rounds. So another round, she's play, She's scoring what they're scoring to win majors.
0: I think it's possible for her to win the Australian Open in Melbourne later this year. Um, I, I don't think she'll be the favourite. You know, obviously... You know, if Minji and Hannah come down, they've got the advantage of playing week by week, grinding away. Kari's sort of semi-retired. She's played a couple of LPGA events this year. She actually played a team's event the week before, so she probably ran herself into some good form.
2: I want to ask you both. If you were running the Australian Open, would you put Kari, Hannah... And Minji in the one group? Yes. Or
1: absolutely would
2: you spread it out? Would you spread the love? What would no, you do? No.
1: The reason why you'd put them in the one group, media attention. The media love it. So you're going to be drawing eyeballs. It's going to build up the newspapers, the radio. Everyone's going to be talking about it. You're going to get big crowds following it. Absolutely, I'd be parent. I'd be putting the. Martin,
0: them. what would you do? I would definitely put them together. Yeah, I me mean, too. they've got a very close relationship because uh, you know the she mentoring mentors, that she yeah. does. Yep. So I think that'd be
2: that'd be absolutely you awesome. What, I was going to say no, but I think you sold me, Tiff. I, re- I reckon you got me across the line because the the pictures in the paper would sell golf And uh, on the weekend. You know. They'll drift apart. I imagine that's what normally happens. You know, not everyone shoots the same score on the weekend. They'll drift apart, and the young, the youngsters will have a chance to play with, you know, some of those legends. Because it always was nice. I mean, I, I was in a position once upon a time where I was playing reasonably well, and when the big people came back to town, they'd you know throw you a bone and they'd say, "Listen, you're playing with Monty or Finchie or Peter Senior this week." And as a young guy, you know, playing with Peter Senior, I remember a couple of times in rounds one and two. I thought that was the greatest honor, you know, they could ever give me. So I I also have that in the back of my mind that maybe for some of our, you know, Steph Kiriaki, Mm. maybe we could put her with Kari. Or, you know, there's also those stories. So it'll be fascinating to see what Trevor Hurden does um, come December.
1: How much would you have loved to have played with Seve Ballesteros?
2: I was always very jealous of Grant Dodd. We were playing in the Hong Kong Open and Grant Dodd, who is a friend of mine, um, played nine holes with Seve. You know, I, I love this story because Grant Grant was caddying for himself in the practice round, and Sevy just walked up on the 10th tee and said, "Could I play?" And I watched it happen because I was on the green in front, and I was already play- I already had a four. I almost ran <laughs> to do it. I almost ran to get because Seve was a he, he was a god. Anyway, we're putting on the green and we watched Dotty hit off, and then we watched Sevy hit off. And Sevy, you know, he wasn't hitting playing very well at the time, but he flushed one right down the middle. Nice. Anyway, Savvy walked off with his caddy, and Grant Dodd just started walking. He got 200 yards down the fairway and forgot that he was caddying for himself. He had to come all the way back <laughs> for his <laughs> golf bag. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: That's he was funny.
2: he was mesmerised, you know, from the moment he stood on that tee. And I know the people that listen to this podcast, they are golf lovers. They love golf. They love everything about golf. They play a lot of golf. They do everything. Um, if you are a golf lover, there is a new documentary out. It's on the Foxtel platform at the moment. It's called Seve, Artist, Fighter and Legend. Mm. I can tell you I'll, I teared up three times during it. Now, I don't tear up too often. Give but us one of the moments. I'll give us one of the moments. When when he was – they interview a lot of people, so they take you on the journey. They, they, they interview his kids. They interview his manager. They interview other people who played with him. A, a lot of his Ryder Cup teammates – and it's a look th- uh, of through all their eyes about what Seve was, and and why he was such a magnetic type of person. Besides all the majors, you know, the five majors that he won. There was one moment when um, they were talking about you know life after Seve, and they were showing Nick Faldo, who's a strong character. They were showing him these images of Seve cuddling him. So, so I think. Uh, Feldo got up and down on the last hole from 94 yards. He said he said it was the best 94-yard pitch shot he'd ever hit in his life, and he got up and down, and that basically secured the Ryder Cup. And there are these beautiful pictures of Seve in tears hugging Nick Feldo. And the narrator or the guy who was doing the interview, I don't want to to give too much away, but the guy who was doing the interview just said to Nick, what did he say to you? And Nick Feldo said, you were a great champion in this beautiful voice. You are a great champion, and Nick started to, to well up. Yeah, th- Ice understand th- Yep. Th- there were moments in this documentary. It goes for about ninety minutes. Oh, well,
1: you've got me now. I'm tearing. Oh, up. you
2: gotta watch it, <laughs> Tiff I will. and I'm Blakey. I it. know you love golf as much as anybody. I know you both do. You've just got to watch this. Somehow find it. Somehow find it. It's it's not always on. You, you've got to go to the doco section and then you stream it if you if you've got that form Put of. Put it in your bar. It's. It's one of the greatest it, – well, it is. It's, it, I'll, I'll happily say it's the best documentary, and I watch them all the time. It's the best documentary I've ever seen wow. in my life.
1: Wow. wow. Okay. There you go.
0: And
2: Northcote, Tiff.
1: Yeah, please, last night.
0: So this is a bit Melbourne-centric, I suppose, but it's got a broader implication. So Northcote uh, Golf Course – it's not an actual club, it's just a, a course uh, – on public land in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. has been threatened with extinction for about two years, right? Uh, earlier this week, the council, the Darabin council, that's uh, been looking at it, they've decided to keep it. So it's a massive win for golf, and it's a, probably a template going forward for when this happens again, which will happen again. It's already happened at Moore Park in Sydney, Rosney Park in Hobart, we lost that course. We lost Elsonwick here in Melbourne. Victoria Park in Brisbane got closed. You know, it's it's on all the time with local councils. And they've got to realise, these people that... Golf offers a lot more to people than what we've previously said. And we're starting to say it. Golf Australia got involved in this argument. I'm very proud that they did, you know, because it, it's too important uh, to just let municipal councils just close golf courses because they think golf's dying or something like right. that. It's, I mean, come
2: on. It's ridiculous. And and the worst bit about this particular closure at Northcote is when you look at a map, there are parks Everywhere around it. And you know what happened during COVID? They all came in and they forget that people pay to use that space. And for the uptake. There are green fees involved. And that's what keeps it fertilised and keeps it cut and keeps all the trees in order. And
1: and, and Makes it look so good. They look
2: after it because people pay for it. Now, if they're willing to pay, (laughs) they they, they weren't willing to pay just to come and have a picnic. They weren't. But you know what? There are parks everywhere they can go and have a picnic. Well, not only that, Why? in
0: the, the compromise that's been reached, they're just going to shave off uh, five yeah. hecto- hectares on the southern end of the course. They're going to make that into a nice park and then they keep the golf course. So everyone's happy really under this situation yeah. and that's all you need to do. Uh, uh, so often the default position of the council is, uh, oh, let's cl- let's close the golf course. Yeah, uh, The golf course tends to go into disrepair when yes. that happens because they've got the money to maintain it. But, so a great result for Northcote. Uh, well done to all the people that fought to keep that, and good luck to them. I yeah. signed the petition. Did good. you sign the petition? I
2: did. Yeah, I, did. I, I signed I the did. petition.
1: Thankfully, the council uh, had a deeper think. Um, just before we f- we throw to the break, uh, we we also my local. Driving range, Albert Park Golf Course's uh, driving range has started the demolition and they're going to be building a rooftop bar and they're going wow. to be doing upgrading all the driving, the, the bays and making them digital. And I was down there on Sunday with my group of women and uh, we had an hour hit. So you can still get down there, but it's fantastic. Looking forward to that once it's opened up again fully. All right, we've got a great guest coming up after the break. Cherry Picked is up right after this. Well, it's an absolute thrill to now introduce our cherry pick guest for the week. She's a six-time Commonwealth Games champion, of course, the Commonwealth Games coming up, an Olympic silver and bronze medalist and the GM of women's football in the AFLW. Welcome, Nicole Livingston.
3: Uh, thank you very much, Tiff Cherry, Mark Allen. It feels a bit like old home week. Yeah, it does Thanks for bit. having me on. Yeah, no, nice to talk.
1: It's great to have you on. So let's just, let's talk about your golf first. I know you're a, you're a bit of a keen golfer. How long have you been playing and what is it about the game that you love?
3: Uh, I've got stages of my golfing life. Um, I've got pre-kids and post-kids. I was much more consistent pre-kids. But my golfing um, world sort of starts much younger than that. My mum was actually the head cook at Metropolitan Golf Club. Oh, wow. So as a kid, I used to walk walk the course, used to go feed the ducks down on the lake. Uh, And used to hang around at Australian Open and big international events as she worked her 18-hour days feeding, you know, Bob Shearer and Greg Norman and (laughs) and the like, so... Yeah, yeah, um, it goes way back, but I don't play as much as I want to. These I'm trying to get at least one of my kids to say, "Yeah, I want to play with you, Mum," but I haven't I haven't actually managed that yet. Uh, Nick, my
2: kids tell me golf's boring; it's Dad's game. So good luck with it. I hope you I hope you get them across the line because I think it's a lot of people who play golf. It's their dream just to play a little bit with their kids. Uh, are either of them
3: close? Um, so I've got two baseballers in in the family. Oh, wow. So. I'm actually thinking it could be that they do approach it a little like Happy Gilmore, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're probably better in the driving range um, than going out and walking the course. So I want to take in the serenity, get close to nature as well, as um, have a bit of a slash and burn with my golf clubs, but um, you yeah, haven't quite convinced them yet.
1: Hey, have you come down, I think you live sort of fairly close by, have you come down to the... the- obviously, Australian Golf Centre at Sandy Golf Links and checked out the facilities and the driving range and the Himalayan putting green, et cetera? Yeah, I have.
3: I have. And, gee, um, what a great uh, facility. And, in fact, I I heard conversations over the weekend about where the closest golf range is in my local area base. I'm like, you guys, it's just down on Shelton Road. I don't know what you're talking about. You just need to go down there. Um, The technology, uh, because, you know, sport, as you know, elite sport, you've got uh, a, a data point for everything so to actually go down there and um, be able to analyze yourself so not sometimes overanalyze yourself um, is really good i really liked it
1: so what is it um, about the with you in terms of trying to get more more golf into your day how can you how can you actually integrate golf into the busy life cycle of of you being a mum and obviously running women's football in the country?
3: It's actually really interesting because the AFL now is 40% women in terms of our staffing. So, um, And quite often we hear the guys talking about going off and playing golf and um, we continue to say, actually, we need to do something about this. And, um, you know, as senior women leaders, you know, why don't we block out, you know, once a month in an afternoon that we we go and play golf somewhere together, go start doing different, cor- uh, different courses or we have some lessons and then we go and play. A, you know, a lazy nine or even less. So, um, well, we're hosting yeah.
1: you. We'll host you all down here, definitely. Yeah.
3: Just finding the right person to host us.
1: <laughs> well, Mark Allen could do that.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to take you around. Let's go. Sandy Golf's a perfect place to play. Um, tell us about a little bit about your journey um, in women's football. I mean, we're playing a sport that's kind of set up. Uh, for women to come and play because we've got the women's toilets got everything. but we know right around the country at a lot of ovals th- there wasn't um, female dressing rooms and things like that. I mean there's a real battle um, just to yeah. get things set up for you. how's that tracking at the moment?
3: Yeah, look, it's got a lot better. Uh, I think we're at about 37% of all facilities in the nation being deemed female-friendly because it's not just female players. We're looking at umpires, coaches and the like as well. So to think about the most of these facilities were were built post-war and certainly not um, thinking about women playing football. So, um, yeah, we've made huge strides, and that's hundreds of millions of dollars, to be honest, to even shift a few percentage We need a new oval every week for the next five years to get growth. We now have 600,000 women and girls playing Australian football across the nation and our our registrations for 2022, we're actually tracking above uh, our 2019 census pre-COVID. Wow.
2: Wow, Nicole, it's funny you say that about the ovals because the one thing I notice driving all over the place on the weekends for my kids' sport is every time I go past a school, with an oval there, no one's on it, not a soul. Yeah, and is, is there yeah. a chance if we tapped into that? Because I know all the uh, the community ovals that uh, are there for everybody. That, that that's one thing. But when we're looking for space, has anybody actually asked the government saying, "Hey, listen, we'll build you the facility to uh, for the change rooms and and everything you need. We just need your oval on the weekends.
3: Has that been looked yeah. into? Yeah, certainly has. And, um, you know, it's we, we obviously have school sport Australia, school sport Victoria, where, where I live, um, and football is a growing sport in that. But there's certainly not that beautiful collaboration between primary schools, secondary schools in the public system and sport. And it's not just Australian football that's looking for space. It's more than Australian football. So um, you do find school principals are quite protective of their ovals uh, and whether or not they actually want the extra um the extra traffic on it i'm not 100 sure but it seems to be uh, a natural fit doesn't it yeah more problems though in places like new south wales where there just isn't any green space uh and queensland the growth in queensland has just been extraordinary as well
0: nicole it's blakey um we've got two superstars in our sport on the women's side hannah green and minji lee who's number two now um, how important are the stars in women's sport An all sport, I suppose, to to drive participation.
3: Yeah. I mean, we've got 540 women now playing elite football. You think about, um, and Tiff's been involved with this for a long time as well, you think about 2016, we had no women on contract, no women playing elite um, professional uh, sport. We now have 540 on contracts across 18 AFL clubs. Like it's quite extraordinary. Um, We look at the YouGov uh, data and I think we had out of the top 30 women athletes, It was an Olympic year, so it was infiltrated by Olympians. Um, But I think we had about four or five in there, obviously Daisy Pierce, Katie Brennan, Taylor Harris.
1: Um,
3: So we're we're really making positive um, moves from ourselves to try and actually get a heavier weight in that top 30 female athletes uh, actually i don't know if your women were in that top 30 so i mean that's obviously a piece to look at as well uh, and then you know how, how do we actually build the next generation of stars so some of our players retire right so we need to be able to have the household names come kick kick up Um, You know, Emily Bates is our best and fairest for the last season, you know, we need to work positively with the Lions and with Emily to raise her profile so people know who she is, so we're we're looking actively at the next layer of players, having a list at each and every one of our 18 clubs that are good at doing corporate speaking they're good at going out to schools and, and connecting with kids. Um, You know, we can push them out for media interviews. How do we actually raise their social profile? And that's fraught with danger, obviously, because it's a two-way street. But, you know, it's a really good way to connect with public. We're also trying to show that we are one sport. What we do know about, um, and I feel really old even saying this, what we know about things like TikTok is that when we post something or our clubs post something, have both men and women in it, AFL and AFLW players, it goes through the roof. So that is normalising women playing the game as well. So we're going really hard at trying to build new stars.
1: We're talking about normalising and the pay equity comes into it. So you've got the new one-year pay deal, which was struck with the AFL for Season 7, which is starting, as you said, as we are, were just about to recall this, in 29 days. Um, so you've got your top tier receiving 72000 and the minimum has jumped from 20 to, well, thereabouts, $20,000 to 40000 So almost a 100% increase. How important from the, from the, the player's perspective, um, obviously money talks, but you know, from them understanding that the money has to come into the game, how important has that um, that increase been in, in helping to normalise it um, in the broader conversation?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're not at our final destination yet. We're still on this journey and to have a 94% pay increase to the players directly and it's about their value um, and it's not just about their pay packet. In fact, the overall increase was 146% because we are able to increase some of the things around the players as well, because it's about access to the club, about the services that, that they receive. Um, you know, we haven't set our season eight soft cap yet, but when we see the men get a $500,000 lift, what does that mean for women's football and AFLW? So it's, it's up to myself and others to, to sort of prosecute that and work through the affordability of how much can you raise? Because as you see in netball, when you do raise things, you can't pour it back. It's very, very difficult. So Hence our staged approach of building this. And, and as we're building the rate of pay, we're also building the commerciality of it as well. So we're really grateful our partners have stayed with us. And when we first got our partners on board, you know, we were selling hope. We didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, and now we're actually selling that something that really has equity in the brand, uh, you know, is, is something really tangible for them to not only say we believe in women's sport, but this product is worth something. So, um, you know, not only have they stuck with us, but they're paying more now, which is great.
0: Nick, you're you're at the heart of all this, uh, this question, and, and Tiff is as well. Do you think women's sport's growing really quickly? That's, that's the way it feels to me, the popularity of women's sport generally. That's a very broad question, I know, but... It feels like things have turned the corner hmm. in the last few years.
3: Uh, yeah, I think women's sport is growing. We've always been here. Uh, we have always punched well above our weight. We've always represented our nation domestically and internationally superbly. You know, you look at the Olympics and women have, have outplayed, outmedalled yeah. men in every, every sport on offer. Um, is it growing fast enough? Is, it, is the value of it growing fast enough? So we see more and more leagues. We see increases in pay. But there's still this big divide between what men's sport is worth and what women's sport is worth. Mm. How we're judged as well through traditional metrics of bums on seats and and, um, audiences on streaming or TV. So, you know, women's sport brings a lot more than that. Women's sport, um, from a society point of view, actually changes the way that sporting clubs operate, the way that they represent their local communities. Um, They're now reflective of our nation. Um, So... I think we need to start to figure out how to judge women's sport a little differently. Um, But I often get challenged about the pay equity piece and, you know, why aren't aren't they on the same as the men? And quite often it's from women that work in corporate Australia. And I often say, well, next time you have a sponsorship proposal on your desk and you have the choice between men's and women's, first of all, are you picking women's? And you see the dollar value between the men's deal and the women's deal, and there is a difference. Are you going to raise it? to actually lift this tide with us. So we can't do it on our own. We need everybody to lean in and do it with us. Our corporate partners have done that and have responded really well. And we actually um, have assessed our value of AFLW and we're being really aspirational with it. Mm.
1: I think from my perspective, I, I remember getting asked, you know, in 2017 on the success of of the launch of the, of the AFLW, And it was almost every man who asked me this was, did you see it come being so successful? And I said, absolutely, because the conversations amongst the community grassroots level were women were playing the game and they wanted an opportunity to be able to play in front of crowds and to grow the game. And obviously now it's become, now you've got the segments and the pathways so the juniors can come through like the boys do. So the girls come through exactly like the boys and so it's normalised, and getting back to that comment you said before, Nick, about normalising the sport and normalising this, um, especially for the Millennials and the Gen Zs and the Gen Alphas. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a generational change, but it's happening obviously a lot quicker with the AFL. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, going back to golf, um, obviously on the back of Cam Smith winning and, you know, and how big that was and even Minji uh, and then Minji winning a few weeks prior – um, for The U.S. Women's Open. How much did you see of that, and and you know, did that draw your attention to golf? I'm really interested interested to know just for, with your lens, um, the sport lens, how much yeah. you drew in from from you know those two big wins. It's a
3: really saturated market, isn't it? so? I guess it, it resonates with those that really follow golf. I, 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 you will know your audience segments. I'm kind of a fly by night. Yeah. Um, you know, supporter of all sports. So I'll lean in and, and be interested in sport, particularly if I see an Australian being successful, um, particularly when I see Cam Smith walking around rocking that hairstyle and I just think it kind of, you know, it breaks the mould of how people think about golf as being much more conservative and traditional. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I cheer any Australian that's going well. I, do I get up overnight to watch sport? No, I don't. Um, you know, I, probably these days the only sport i get up overnight to watch is my daughter swimming in us college when it's coming in on a platform so yeah. um but, but it's the age isn't it of not just me but the age of technology where you can actually on demand, go back and watch anything you want to watch. So that's you know that's how I consume. Mm.
2: Nicole, we're, we're very proud of a young lady called Ali Whittaker uh, in Australian golf. She's a commentator and she's doing a great job. She, you, you would have heard her commentate a little bit uh, at the Open Championship that Cameron Smith just won. Just, just how important has it been, and I've, I've just written a few names down, they're the only ones I could think of, just to get Daisy Pierce, Sarah Jones, Kelly Underwood in the men's yeah. game. Do you see that as helping what you do in the women's game?
3: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's not just I've talked to you a lot about what we're doing on field. We are doing so much work off field. We've just invested in nine women coaches in our Women's Coach Acceleration Programme. Um, The AFL is paying half of the salary of these nine women coaches to work in the men's program. The the clubs pay the other 50%. It's a decent wage. It's no longer this jigsaw puzzle of a little bit here and a little bit there. It's a two-year opportunity. uh, And the clubs pay the other 50%, but it sits out of their football expenses, which you always hear a lot about soft cap. Mm. It sits out of their soft cap. So what we want at the end of the two years is not only to normalise women working in the men's AFL program, but we want women to actually be then employed. And and then the next generation, the next group of nine come through that we're able to put forward. We're doing that administration as well. And we are absolutely targeting, training up um, getting exposure, getting experience for women to broadcast and be involved with digital media, with Australian football Um, You know, you won't see many programs coming from us that won't have equal representation or at least gender diversity. Our draft is an example of that. We've got so many great women that work in media, um, but we actually had Riley as a man come in and be on our panel as well. Riley loves women's football and he was able to to really add. So we're also looking in, in the reverse. How do we get men into women's football uh, normalize them being part of it as well. Mm.
1: It's a cultural leadership change, and that's men as advocates or the the champions of change, um, where men are out there talking and being um, proactive, proactively, positively speaking about women's uh, sport and football. In your case, I just wanted to ask one more. You spoke about obviously your daughter swimming and the Com Games coming up um, with the season so close. Because I know you've uh, you've commentated the swimming before. Uh, are you going to have any any contact at all or any impact on the Commonwealth Games.
3: Um, no, I'll be a spectator watching it, and I'll just have to figure out whether I'm getting up in the middle of the night for Birmingham. I probably will for finals, not for heats. Um, but I'm looking forward to watching Australia's success, uh, particularly given that we've got Commonwealth Games in Victoria coming in 2026. Mm. So I think um, those those uh, Commonwealth Games or Olympic Games prior to Australia hosting is really important for our performance. It really gives us a good runway. Uh, we mm. had a great World Championships in the swimming pool, so I think our team's going to go particularly well and you know when you talk about one sport um these commonwealth games like never before from a paralympic and olympic program point of view yeah. are really well integrated
2: Nicole uh, I'm really curious I heard you say your daughter was in the American college over there I'm a yeah. big believer in uh, college uh, for men's golf and women's golf yeah. I went over there and it was the best thing I ever did for my professional career by by a million miles um I'm really interested because uh, we're so proficient at training champions here in Australia. What's the college uh, situation like? I mean, is it semi-professional or is it, is it elite like you would have experienced when you were training to be a superstar of the, of, the, of the sport? How do you see it?
3: Yeah, there's obviously very a lot, you know, like golf, there's varying programs. So she's at a junior college at the moment for her first two years. So I was really protective of my daughter in swimming, not doing too many sessions too young. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst the 12 and 13-year-old champion are no longer swimming now, she's still swimming and loving it at 19 turning 20, she now does sort of nine, ten sessions a week. I do dry land every day and she does study. She's got one more year in this junior college and she's double herself. I'm really proud of her. She hasn't used me, me wow, or fantastic. my connection at all. She's in Florida, beautiful program uh, at Fort, Fort Pierce. The coach is a guy I swam with um, in 96. He uh, didn't swim for Australia, but... Um, she's going to a four-year school, an NCAA Division I school for her last two years um, across at Florida Gulf Coast University. The value in it for me is that she can continue her love of swimming. She gets to finish it eventually in her own way, um, where she's not burnt out. But she gets an education as well. I mean, she's doing business the first two years. Last two years, she's going to major in a BA in communications and PR. So, she can come and work for Golf Australia and help you with your communication. <laughs> That's,
1: e- That's exactly what we want, Nick. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining us. And obviously good luck uh, in a month's time. You've got season seven, seven starting and all 18 clubs now have a women's team. That is absolutely brilliant. So uh, all the very best for that. Um, August the 25th is the first game. And hopefully the
3: roast hasn't burnt. I'm sure it is. I'll <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: well, let, you, let you go. Thank you, Nicole Livingston there joining us. And coming up next, we've got all the news from Around the Traps. Right, time now for the news uh, with Martin Blake. Blakey, what have you got?
0: Well, Lucas Herbert's the first big-name player that's locked in for the summer of golf. So he's going to play the Australian PGA at Royal Queensland, then the Australian Open here in Melbourne. Beauty. So um, that's a good win. I believe that the aim of the whole thing is to get the best Australian players back. They won't, I don't think there'll be any big overseas players. It's more, let's get the best players back. And on that note... Cameron Smith did some television interviews late last week in which he said he'll come back and play. So I believe that there were negotiations going on with Cam, so it was a bit of a surprise to everyone to hear him say, yeah, I'm definitely coming. So
1: I love that strategy because we want to build up the profiles of our of our of our Australian players. So, obviously, the men, you know, naturally get a a bigger profile than the women. We've got them playing together. I think it's really important that we really focus on building up the profile of this young new generation coming through so that we can grab more fans, which is part of the the new national strategy of Pillar 4.
0: Well, they're they're obviously trying for Minji Lee and Hannah Green for the Australian Open in Melbourne, which is the first equal gender or gender equal... um, Tournament at Victoria and Kingston Heath. In relation to Cam Smith, how many people would he put on the crowd at an Australian Open or now Australian PGA in Brisbane? Which he, is, double um, it.
2: Double it. If he wasn't playing versus he was playing, he would double the crowd, maybe triple it. And I would say the same down here in Melbourne for the Australian Open. Yep. And uh, I I think it's just that he now is he's the number two player in the world.
0: That's right. He's, the, he's the, the, going to be the reigning huge. Open champion. He's very popular. People connect with Yeah, yep. They connect with him. So yep. whether it's the haircut or the nonchalant sort of Aussie way, he's very Aussie. I saw the other day that he finished sixth in an event uh, since he's gone back home to Florida. you know what it was? No. It was the Jacksonville Kingfish Tournament. <laughs> I thought it was going to be dark He darts. caught two 49-pound kingfish, which was enough for him to finish sixth. He and Billy Horschel were in that together. Hey, before you um, go
1: on, talking of... Uh, of TV interviews, Mark Allen, you were on the, the Sunday you were talking about. what Was it me about? or was it somebody no, well, that's else? that's it. So, um, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> who do they put up saying that it was you teeing off?
2: Uh, TV is very different to radio, and uh, which, I'm, which I'm accustomed to. And, and they actually sent me the their whole plan for the five-minute interview. And you read it, you got all the questions they, they're going to ask. And at the top it said, oh, you've got some uh, highlights of your career so people will understand that you you used to play. I thought, oh, that'd be nice. And I'm sitting in this little room (laughs) by myself because it's done out of Sydney. And uh, they're talking about the the situation. And then my eyes just dart down and I can see a chip in. I go, I recognise that chip in, that's me. And then I'm looking back at the camera because I don't know when they're going to come back to me. But in my peripheral vision, I can see the next highlight and it was a much better swing than I had. Why is that? <laughs> it was Stuart Appleby. A lot of hair <laughs> they, as well. They, and then they came back, they showed a full headshot of Stuart Appleby. So how they've got Stuart did, Appleby did and me mixed up. up? Not, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, I, just, I know, jean has got to a doppelganger for you. Yeah, that, that's we, true. We've heard that before. But yeah, that's But Stuart true. Appleby doesn't look anything like uh, you. Not anything like me. No, I was I was a little bit shaken. <laughs>
1: hey, so you, you, you were talking about the Live. I wanted to bring up there was a so the the LPGA has said that they're open to talking about um, potentially a women's tour with with Live, mm-hmm. and there was a um, a survey that was held. I saw this on Twitter where uh, they put posed a question: Would you follow the LPGA if it does go with the Saudis? And fifty five percent said no, forty five said yes. So there's there's an appetite out there for it
0: yes well Marco the you know if the live go for the women's tour which they undoubtedly will you know it's, well, it's probably easier for them to get hold of players uh from the LPGA tour and the LET because the prize money is so much yep. lower
2: yep, oh exactly right. if live pour pouring the money to women's golf <laughs> like they have into men's golf uh you wouldn't want to be on the LPGA side. I don't think that would be a hard battle to win.
1: Well, and it's Tiff, the key about, social. Tiff, the,
2: what
0: about the, uh, the the women's rights issue well, for, that's it. for female players? It's
1: the social issue. The, the only the main key issue holding it back for women is that they you know th- that they treat women as second class citizens and that's that's where and then you, now you're saying we're gonna put you up on a pedestal. Um, there'll be it'll be a massive social issue where players will be mm. dealing with well, we securing money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kari's, Kari's dead against it. So. Yeah, but Kari's also one of the Why, why is successful. golf the
2: sport that's been pinged, is what I don't understand. Because they have Formula One there. It's gonna be one pretty soon. Not, not a word will be written. They have the darts there. They have all kinds of sport.
1: Or oh, darts. <laughs> well, darts is pretty big, Tiff Philippi. <laughs> okay. It is huge. Right.
2: Um, can I tell you this? There was a women's tournament in Saudi Arabia about three months ago.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, the biggest names went and played. Not a word was written. Mm. So I, I, I don't understand why golf is being pinged. Now, I know Brendon Chambly is... When you start talking about beheadings in the town square, people stand up and listen, and we all do, and we all understand um, human rights around the world. Uh, But if we really took all those human rights issues seriously, there'd be no sport in Russia ever again. There'd be no sport in China let alone an Olympics, there'd be no way a World Cup what would be... What about American
0: gun laws? Oh, mate,
2: there's just there's let's no move way. Move there's just move no forward.
0: way. Hey, uh, We didn't go through some of the results on the weekend. Brooke Henderson won the major in mm. France, the Evian. Canadian. Actually lost the lead on the last day, having led all through. Uh, Minji Lee ended up finishing 43rd. I'll tell you what happened to Minji. She had one under in the first round and she was eight off the lead. She then had an afternoon tea time on day two, and by the time she got on the course, she was about ten or eleven behind. And I reckon uh, that's hard when that yeah. happens, isn't it? Mark? Well,
2: she you had know, a triple on
1: bogey. The, in the you down the
2: first yeah. tee, and you see uh, you're nine behind. Your, your your game plan sometimes will go out the window.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I think so. And uh, look, she's number two in the world. I think it, last time she got to number two in 2019, she got you know she went backwards a little bit. I, I think the expectation. Is there for her? She really wants to be number one, clearly, obviously. Of course. So, yeah. yep. Hannah Green and Steph Kiriakou were the top Australians there, finished tied 31st uh, in the Triple M Open on the PGA Tour of the United States. Cam Davis, who we've spoken about. Previously finished tied 16th. And I just wanted to throw in that Justice Bocio from Caboolture in Queensland made the quarterfinals of the U.S. Junior oh, Navarro wow. last week, which is Good a stuff. great result for her. She's been on our radar for a while. She's a member right. of the uh, Australian, Australian Golf, Golf yep. Australia Elite Squads. What's what's her name again? Justice. Justice Bocio.
2: Okay.
1: All right. Well, great wrap-up there. We're going to okay. throw it all break and come back with Marco's Masterclass. So, Marco, a little bit of a curly one with your Masterclass this week.
2: I'm a fair weather golfer <laughs> really? and I'm a proud member of the fair weather golfers association of Australia
1: and the 19th hole.
2: That means yes, I am that, that means when it's raining or when it's an eight club wind, I will call my playing partners and I'll tell them I'm not coming. There is nothing. I, I just want to just legitimize this for everybody. who <laughs> I
1: want I'm in his camp. Legitimize this <laughs> for
2: everybody. You don't have to play in the rain. In fact, golf is a, Really bad game in the rain when you don't have a caddy. Well, there's It's a shocker. Well, there's always in, in, indoor golf. That's golf. just in my opinion. Go to the driving range. Go book yourself. I mean, if you're really desperate. And, and by the way, golf courses, they get destroyed when it's wet, when they've got a full field. So you're doing the golf course a favour. So all my masterclass today is don't be ashamed of being a fair weather player.
1: I know. We'll see you next week.